My name is Anna Lieberman. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Today is Saturday, April 22nd. Here are the three biggest stories from the past week. On Thursday, 420, white nationalists who love swastikas but denounce genocide so don't call them Nazis came to campus, turned around, and went back home. Then, the new Knight Science Campus is proposed to be built on Franklin Boulevard, which is forcing businesses and UO classes to adapt or leave. And finally, President Michael Schill announced that even more budget cuts are coming to the University of Oregon. We will discuss who will be affected and how much money this will save. You're listening to the Daily Emerald Weekly News Wrap-Up. I'm Emerson Malone. I'm a podcast editor with the Daily Emerald. I'm Max Thornberry. And I'm Alec Cowan. Our lead story today... Two men pulled up and parked their pickup truck by the EMU Thursday morning, April 20th. Their pickup truck had a swastika painted on the side, and in the back, a man played bagpipes. One of the two men told the Emerald that he came to the UO campus to, quote, represent white nationalism in its true form and sense, unquote, and added, quote, we are not about genocide of any races or violence or harming any people, unquote. The presence of white nationalists on campus forced student tours to make detours around the EMU, and hide the fact that the UO community openly embraces white supremacy. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Script got away from you there. <laughs> the presence of white nationalists on campus forced student tours to make detours around the EMU. Max, you wrote this story. Use the words white nationalists to describe these men. And since last year's election, I feel like we've had a lot of conversations about the proper nomenclature for what to call Nazis. So why don't you just call them Nazis? So this was something that we talked a lot about as the story was being written is what we should call them. And we went with white nationalists because that is what they said that they were. Uh, We were not going to place a label on them for this because Nazi is actually uh, it was a political party, the National Socialist Party. And I don't believe that either of these men are members of the Nazi party. Uh, They did have a swastika. They were espousing beliefs that are common among Nazi party members, but as they were saying that they were white nationalists, we chose to call them white nationalists. There were students in the crowd that were calling them Nazis. Uh, In the story, they are referred to as neo-Nazis, but that is not the voice of myself as the writer or of the Emerald, but of people in the crowd referring to them as that. So that was where we landed on that. It was a tough decision. So you can paint a swastika on the side of your truck, but not a Nazi. It's a fine line. I'm, I'm definitely not embracing this or supporting that. It's not okay, but it, it is a, it's a symbol of hate, but using a symbol of hate does not automatically fit you into a specific group. Uh, we feel that just throwing Nazi on there is a little sensational and not really truthful to who these men are, what they are saying. Not their message is their, their message is abhorrent and as a journalist I think I'm still allowed to say that and take a stance on on this particular issue uh, but I am in support of referring to people as what they are they are saying that they are and so we're gonna stick with that in in every instance across the board including white nationalist versus Nazi okay so if I had a Confederate flag in my pickup truck would you say I support the confederacy and am a racist or would you 
just let me say I just like the way the flag looks and I'm trying to reappropriate it. I think it's important to look at how symbols develop over time. Certainly the Confederate flag stands for a lot more now than it necessarily did in Confederate times. Um, I mean, what it represents as a historical marker and as this symbol, I guess, of heritage to Southerners and, and those that buy into Confederate values and, and what it stands for. I mean, that's not trying to say that it can I, I condone it, um, but I think it certainly means that these symbols divert from their original intent over time and that it's important to understand how those terminologies change and adapt. Uh, an obvious example would be how the swastika's significance changed when the Nazi party reappropriated it. Since it is a Buddhist symbol, if I'm not wrong, it represents it was Norse. Norse, maybe. It's also been found in multiple uh, Native American uh, dresses, art, kind of like Cocopelli. Okay, but the swastika represented like peace, right? Right. I can't Never speak mind. to we the veracity of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it certainly, it, it's one thing to say that the symbol defines who they are, but I think that it's also important to understand how that symbol has changed over time and how its different uses has affected different people groups. That's not condoning it as necessarily like, all right, to just have a swastika on the side of your truck. It's all right. Um, all, all right, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I used to enjoy Pepe the Frog, but that's gone for me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pepe the Frog... Well, this can go in a different direction, but let's bring this back. I have one more point, okay. if we can fit that in. You know, one thing that I think is also really important to consider is, of course, this debate on what free speech is. Um, I mean, I'm an opinion writer, so I guess I can take a little bit more liberty with, with how I think about the situation. But certainly UO has had its hardships when it comes to free speech. I mean, it was rated recently in, in one of the poor, as one of the poorest colleges for free speech in the nation. Um, and that comes in light of the Nancy Schertz situation and, and some other situations. But I think I mean, it was brought up that police were at the scene but didn't necessarily do anything to stop the demonstrators from doing what they were doing, from pay, playing their bagpipe and holding their sign. And a lot of people were frustrated that nothing was done to stop them. But I think in the same regard, it's important to know that the moment the police are given the autonomy to stop any demonstration, regardless of what its symbolism is, I mean, that's detrimental to everybody. And so as much as people may disagree with how uh, these demonstrators um, may think, it's really important to know that to def it's, it's this kind of give and take where you have to defend their rights because it, it at the same time defends your rights. And, and you can't just, you know, give them the, the police liberty to to arrest those people or, or publicly detain them and not assume that the next time there's a protest for a, like, you know, a, a Trump inauguration or, you know, Oregon has had tons of protests here in the past year. Um, you know, the second it's okay to shut down two people on campus for doing a peaceful demonstration is the second that all those moments are taken away from everybody. I, I was in the crowd and I was listening to a police officer explaining why they were there and why they weren't doing anything. And he was explaining that hate speech is still protected. It People don't like to hear it. But like Alex said, we can't be taking away people's right to say things. Now, I think University of Oregon students had... A, a good response and they showed up and they tried to discuss with these men 
what they were saying and that is how ideas are sharpened and how good ideas float to the top and bad ideas sink to the bottom is you have this discussion about ideas and about what people think and what people are saying and if we take that away then we we don't know what's going to happen so as a journalist the the first amendment is really important to me it's what's going to allow me to have a job here uh and part of the first amendment is allowing people to say things that i don't necessarily agree with but i can i can still defend their right to say them even if i don't have to endorse what they're saying who were these people so jimmy marr is a resident of springfield oregon and he is a white nationalist who has become relatively infamous in the the Lane County area over the last few years. And he was the one playing the bagpipes. He was the man that was in the back of the truck playing the bagpipes. And an associate of his who did not give his full name, he told us that his name was Chad. So that's how he was referred to, was there along with, uh, with Mar. We're not sure exactly who he is or what his affiliation with Mar is, uh, except that he seems to have the same beliefs as Mar. Why did they do this on 420? Why weren't they just chill about this? <laughs> Why couldn't they celebrate Hitler's birthday somewhere else? <laughs> so uh, April 20th, in addition to being uh, the national uh, holiday for stoners, is also Hitler's birthday. So it's likely that these two men came out on April 20th to the University of Oregon campus to share their beliefs about white nationalism. Uh, most likely, uh, in coordination with Hitler's birthday. Okay, and I remember there was something similar last 420. Did Is this a regular occurrence on 420 at the campus, you think? I don't know if this is a regular occurrence on 420, uh, but this is not the first time that Marr has appeared somewhere in town and started a, a tussle of some sort. Uh, a couple months ago, he was arrested... Uh, for disturbing the peace, he had a speaker on top of his house that was blaring uh, a pro-white nationalism message uh, that was affecting his neighbors. Uh, it, it affected noise violations, which is why he was uh, arrested. So him him causing a scene is not a new thing. I believe he's been on campus before, but I'm, I'm not sure if it was last April 20th. Okay, and about 100 students gathered around when... They rolled their truck onto campus, is that right? Not immediately. They were on campus for a little bit, and as uh, pictures on Twitter went up and as people heard bagpipes being played from the back of the truck, uh, it attracted more and more students. So at, at the peak, there were probably about 100 students that were directly around the truck uh, and others watching from the EMU patio. Uh, so it, it was a, a decent-sized crowd that eventually formed. What were their reaction? They were were not happy. So I will give the UO community that jumping jumping on board and standing up against the the message that these men were were sharing. Uh, you had some students that were very angry, telling them to go home. Uh, trying some of them were trying to uh, get them to actually say what they were doing there. Uh, I'm assuming in an attempt to be able to have a discussion with them. Uh, some students were very upset and were were were, visi were visibly upset, crying, uh, confused about why they were here and what they were doing. So there was a, a pretty wide range of reaction, but all of it was negative. Do you want to talk about the, the rabbi? I do. 
I want to talk about the the rabbi Jack Malol who showed up and started dancing and singing in front of Chad with his sign. It was great. Is he the one who had the Degoyim No sign? Yes. So Chad was the one that had the Degoyim No sign, and I had to look up what that meant. It, it's a it's an anti-Semitic slur. Um, I'm not sure what the exact translation is. It's like the, I mean, Goyim means non-Jewish people, so it's like they're they know they're in on it. So it's like it's off. It's a bust. Something to that effect. It was it was pretty powerful. At one point, there was a a rabbi uh, that walked by, and he he walked up and he stood in front of Chad, the man holding the sign, and he started dancing and singing in Hebrew, saying the the Jewish people are still alive. And he got the crowd around him singing, and, and the the look on the face of Chad was very frustrated. He was was not a fan of it. And I got I had a chance to to talk with Jack Malol, the rabbi, afterwards, and he said that that was the the best way to to fight hate is with a smile and with singing and with dancing. So it was it was really powerful to see the whole crowd go from being very angry and yelling at these men to being supportive of this rabbi that, that got up and basically stood up for not just Jewish people, but everyone on campus that was there and that was upset to see these men there. It was really powerful. What is Jack Malol's association with the U of O? Is he in Judaic studies or is he just a local rabbi? He's a rabbi that has uh, that that has an Akiva uh, program on campus. Uh, so Jewish, uh, Jewish students gather together and uh, I'm not sure the exact extent, but he is a... Uh, he is associated with a lot of students on campus. Our second story, the University of Oregon plans to break ground for the new Knight Science Campus to be built on Franklin Boulevard starting next year. Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact will displace existing businesses and likely disrupt classes at the Millray Studios. Last October, it was announced that Phil and Penny Knight donated $500 million to the UO to help finance the proposed expansion. This was the largest single donation to a public university ever. This campus expansion is part of the university's initiative to boost its science departments and research capacity. This is a 10-year project. There are a few roadblocks in the way that'll make it super expensive. Emerald reporter Emma Henderson wrote this story. Max, uh, let's talk about the businesses who are going to have to close. Yeah, so there are a, a few businesses on Franklin Boulevard that are going to be displaced by this. Evergreen Indian Restaurant, Lucky Duck Espresso, and Domino's Pizza, which is actually very new, uh, they haven't been there very long, and they're going to be forced out pretty quickly. For this story, Emma Henderson spoke with the owner of Evergreen Indian Restaurant, which has been located on Franklin for 10 years. Before the announcement of the campus expansion in October, uh, she had said that she had just signed a five-year lease and remodeled the restaurant. So she was a little frustrated that there wasn't more warning about this. She said that if she would have known that this was coming, she wouldn't have spent that time and energy remodeling and would have started looking for a a new location sooner she told us that quote they didn't give us any other time otherwise we wouldn't have done all the remodeling what's going to happen to evergreen so for now uh she says that her and her husband will need to find a new location by the end of the year she said that uo is helping them to look for a new location but they there are not a lot of options Roadblocks such as having a place with parking are is the the main concern that she has. So she would like to see more help from the university. She said that she's not sure if she's even going to be able to find a new location. She has expressed interest in opening up a smaller location in the EMU. Uh, she has a lot of patrons from the university, faculty members that 
eat lunch at her restaurant, so she would like to move onto campus if possible. It's because the next closest Indian restaurant is on like like Hilliard and nothing. Shout out to Taste of India, proud sponsor <laughs> of the Emerald Podcast Network. Um, do we know how much is being allocated to help the relocation, or like and to help them? Yeah, and yeah, what the UO is doing, I'm not sure. We do not know that. Follow up because like in a lot of those situations, like if a business is forced to relocate because of university expansion, there's some kind of payout for that. And the businesses on Franklin aren't the only thing that will be interrupted by the night campus expansion. It's also going to affect the Urban Farm, which is a garden maintained by students from the Landscape Architecture Department, and art studios over in the Millrace area, where ceramics, jewelry, and metalsmithing classes take place. That's right. The new campus is going to affect this area, but it is not going to displace it. Uh, the biggest fear right now is the, the shadows that the buildings on the night campus are going to affect the the, the health of the garden. The garden can't really be moved. Uh, you can rip up plants and place them somewhere else, but that soil has been there for uh, 40 years, and so there's not really a way to, to, to manage moving that. So that's another concern that the UO has, but the UO is working on mitigating some of the, the damage that those shadows can cause. And finally, our last story today, President Michael Schill posted in his blog, Open Mic, on Thursday, April 20th, that a new round of budget cuts will soon be introduced to mitigate the $8.8 million budget shortfall that the university faces. Max, what does an $8.8 million budget shortfall mean for the university? It basically means that the university is $8.8 million over budget. So that is money that they have to find somewhere by making cuts and increasing tuition. Right. So there have been a number of financially conservative initiatives that the university has already made through, we talked about faculty cuts just last week, first year live on requirement for freshmen starting next year, the 10% tuition hike starting in fall, uh, students in Allen Hall now now have to pay for their printouts like, like hoi polloi. Where is this money supposed to go? So the money that Schill is trying to save is money that the university doesn't actually have. Between decreased state funding and increases in salaries, thanks to the faculty union's most recent collective bargaining agreement, the faculty members are going to see marginal increases over the next three to five years to their pay, uh, as well as the university having to pay for public employee retirement costs. Even after the 10% tuition hike uh, that was passed a a couple months ago, and the cuts that have already been made, the university is still looking at this $8.8 million budget shortfall. And that is assuming the 10% tuition increase is approved by the Higher Education Coordinating Commission. Governor Kate Brown wrote a letter last week saying that tuition hikes of more than 5% need to be approved by the HECC. So the projections that the university has been working with, that $8.8 million shortfall, might be even larger if tuition doesn't increase by 10.6%. In order to bridge that gap, the $8.8 million gap, Schill announced an updated plan yesterday on his blog. First, the administrative general fund spending will be cut by 1%. These are budgets that are managed by vice presidents, and schools and colleges aren't going to be affected by this. This is administrative spending. The estimated savings are about a million and a half dollars. The Strategic Investment Fund, a $2 million fund used at the discretion of administration after proposals are vetted by a budget advisory group made up of students and faculty members, will not be used on any new projects. Half of that $2 million fund has already been set aside for more tenure-track faculty hiring, so the other million dollars is just going to be uh, reserved. So we have an estimated savings of a million dollars there. Cha-ching. I'll put it in the sound effect later. (laughs) 
graduation incentive grants are probably the thing that is going to hit closest to home for students. Uh, this program offered $10,000 grants for juniors and seniors who were at risk of not graduating. UO launched the program last year relying on state money to fund it, but it is now going to be put on hold moving forward. The biggest issue for UO is that it isn't receiving very much money from the state to begin with, so it can't afford to be starting up and running new programs now. This cut is set to save about $1.4 million. And finally, she'll said that the interest on auxiliary and designated operation funds won't be distributed, but is instead going to be transferred to the general fund. This is going to save the university about $600,000. Now, all of that sounds pretty dry, but it works out to be a pretty large chunk of change. Uh, all in all, it's going to slash the projected budget deficit by $4.5 million. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do, so we're going to see what other cuts are taking place. Excellent. You can read more about all these stories, how white supremacy is still not going to happen on the U of O campus, so stop trying to make it happen, how Phil and Penny Knight and Michael Schill want you to go get Indian food in South Eugene from now on, and how President Schill is still counting pennies in his office, online at dailyemerald.com. That's all we have time for today. My name is Emerson Malone. I'm Alec Cowan. I'm Max Thornberry. And if you'd like to hear more from the Emerald Podcast Network, you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can listen to these episodes right on the Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening.